Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I hit record. Did you hit record? No, I haven't. Oh, shit. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slightly Something Else. It's about how to start things really well. <laughs> Ironically. Okay, I'm now recording. There we go. I feel like that's just like a peek into us as creators. We were too literally we were too busy literally playing a game to remember to record stuff. <laughs> we, were, we were warming up. Exactly. Theater sports. It's valid. Exactly. Well, hi everyone. Welcome to slightly something else. Uh, this week, Yahtzee and I uh, want to talk about the first hour of your game, the first impression of games. It's an incredibly important thing. And I feel like some game developers take that first couple of hours for granted. Like, oh, we got you locked in. You've already paid your $30. You'll get it. Yes, I'm very opinionated about how to start games. Mm. But what was it specifically that uh, set you off on this? Uh, So there's a couple recent examples. Obviously, our thumbnail, uh, Monster Hunter World, is a game. Yeah, that's a good one to start. That's always something I've found very hard to penetrate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it, it it's Monster Hunter World is a game that like catapults textbooks at you at every turn, and it's so complicated. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, all the Monster Hunter veterans who have all gotten used to it by now will probably think we sound pathetic complaining about all this. But as I remember, you go into the tutorial, they literally hand you a box full of like 12 different weapons with completely different attacks mm-hmm. and then say, right, when you're ready, here's the rest of the game over this way. <laughs> no, and then you get to like the little area where you can do multiplayer and there's walls of text. And then you get to the area where you eat before you go on a hunt uh, to boost your stats and there's a wall of text. And then you go to the area where you get your missions and there's a wall of text. And you I haven't actually so, fought a monster yet. I get si- I get tired so quickly playing that sort of thing. Yes. Especially like I was playing Monster Hunter Rise as well, the same thing. I just mm. I re- I was really still starting to fall asleep. So when the combat <laughs> finally happened, it was really happening off the back foot. Right. And and once you figure it out, like once you are playing Monster Hunter for a while and you start to nat- more naturally get all those systems, then it makes a ton of sense. But but man, oh man, that first couple of hours is really rough. Uh, suppose, oh, go ahead. It, it doesn't necessarily kill a game, but you have to make sure your game's really, really good after it. Like Dark Souls. <laughs> mm. Everyone who first plays Dark Souls without knowing anything about it gets a rake in the face. But, you know, once you get into it, everyone agrees how great it is. Well, that's that's an interesting. I, I think there's an interesting comparison. We can com- like directly compare Dark Souls one with something like Bloodborne, and I think that where Dark Souls fails, like Dark Souls does a really good job of setting up combat, like that opening hallway. You get a little weapon. It teaches you how to backstab. It teaches you heavy light attack. It teaches you like combat mechanics. But I don't think Dark Souls does a good job at preparing you for how many times you're going to fail. Right. Because, 
you're not supposed to fight the first boss. You're supposed to run past it. In contrast to Demon Souls, where you are expected to be killed by the first boss. <laughs> and that's what establishes. Though you're going to be dying a lot. Exactly. And as you say, in Bloodborne, you, there's, you start off, there's a big wolf that bites your face off. Most players die to that. And that death then leads to progress. Because you get to the Hunter's Dream, you get your first weapon. Absolutely. Etc. But Bloodborne gives you a gift for dying. Like, oh, dying got me my first weapon. I, I'm going to die a lot. I'm going to be okay with that. Like blood, mm. but but then Bloodborne conversely uh, almost hides all of the combat mechanics in that section of the Hunter's Dream where that leads to a dead end. So like they do, yeah. you know, a little bit of a balance. But but really, first, this oh, go ahead. Time I, first time I played Bloodborne, it, it I was got all the way to the final final boss with the dude with the scythe in the field mm. before I figured out how to gun parry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but once I did, that guy felt like a kind of a cakewalk after all the game leading up to that. Yes, both both him and the uh, if you ever got the the secret boss, the uh, the not my first go. I did on my most recent playthrough because I knew you know all the really esoteric things you have to do to get there. Yes, him and the secret boss are actually uh, pretty much wimps if you know how to parry properly, which is great. It's funny, funny. The same was true of Dark Souls, wasn't it? If you can parry, then Lord Gwyn rolls over like a playful puppy. But that's that's kind of the point of the games, right? It's it's that it's that journey. It's that journey to the boss, mm. which makes them so wonderful. But let's not get fixated on From Software games again. Uh, right, no, you're right. Act, the the actual impetus of this, uh, as uh, as we were pitching ideas back over the weekend, uh, last week I was on vacation, uh, did a little traveling, and right before I left on vacation, I downloaded Garden Story. Yes, I played that myself recently because uh, it was on the Escape Steam account, and. Um, well, I was reviewing, I was playing 12 minutes for review, and that game doesn't last very long because it's about 12 minutes. So I had some free time, so I figured might as well keep up with whatever indies are out this week. Mm-hmm. And I tried a bit of, sorry, the chat were all saying show us toffee, so I thought I'd oblige. I, I, I will not complain about you showing your puppy. Uh, yeah. But I play Garden Story, and I think the problem with Garden Story for me was immediate sensory overload. Yes. They just... All the visuals just splatter this incredibly complex background in front of you. And apparently some parts of it were important, but it wasn't clear which. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of really gorgeous characters, really gorgeous set dressing, but then it's it's splat, and then we get the backstory, splat, 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 and then mm. you start going, and it's fetch quest, 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 fetch quest which I understand is the game, but I didn't, well, I didn't really understand what the game was going for. <laughs> it seemed like it was trying to do a Stardew Valley thing, but at the same time, it was also trying to do a Zelda thing. Yeah, like the chores you have to do were mm. a sort of work simulatory, but they were also building up a fantasy plot as well. Yeah, somebody's, clearly somebody's baby. Clearly, we don't understand their vision. I I've heard several people that really enjoy Garden Story. For me, it was. It was that, like like you said, visual clutter, a ton of text that didn't sink in, and then the game stalled. Like, mm. it just felt like I wasn't progressing. Like, I was moving to new areas. I was getting more jobs, but I wasn't – it didn't have that sense of progression for me. So I got two, maybe even three hours into Garden Story, 
And I said, no, I, I, I'm so bored. I can't take this anymore because it never felt like it got moving for me. So what would be, uh, give us another, another example for a game that starts well. Ooh, that's, that's the important stuff. Cause we can complain about things a lot. <laughs> um, I submit to you a game that I feel starts very well is uh, Breath of the Wild. I would agree that that is a game that starts well. <laughs> Why do you think it starts well? I think it does a very good job of relaying its systematic information right from the get-go. As soon as you leave that cave... If you head in any direction, you're going to find something to pick up. You're going to find a stick to pick up. You're going to mm -hmm. find an enemy. You're going to find a climate that you're not properly dressed for. Yes, this is the starting island, of course. But how the game actually starts, starts, is that you're literally in a coffin. You open the <laughs> coffin and you're in a room. You sure. leave the room and you're on the starting island. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that if you're doing like a big game like Breath of the Wild... You should open your game like the player is unfolding a piece of paper. Ooh, all right. I've had this, I've had this idea for how to do a game. I'm not sure like, um, what, exactly what kind of game. But I picture a game where you start off lying on the floor, staring at a wall. And, that, and we use that moment to sort of uh, establish mechanics for how to look at things and how to move around. And once you've just got that figured out, you stand up and you're in a room. And you explore the room and look around the room and do all the things you need to do in the room. Leave the room, you're in a house. Explore the house once you've mastered the house. Leave the house, yes. you're in a street. And you just double it each time, like you're unfolding a piece of paper as you go. And that's very much what Breath of the Wild does. Mm -hmm. It does, and it Breath of the Wild, uh, I think... Part of part of that is how it displays its information. Like if, for example, if you start running up a mountain and you get cold, Link starts shivering, your health starts mm -hmm. going down, it, big, bright, beepy things, you are warned right away and you get that visual feedback right away. So you know, I've done something, now I gotta, now I gotta bring it back. You use your stick to fight your first goblin and your stick breaks and it teaches you that right away. You have to, I want to say you have to climb something very early on in the game. Well, it's, it's a standard mechanic for everything in that game, really. Right. And so I, I've, I just feel like it, and it, it does all of this while letting the player still choose how they want to handle it. And so they have yeah. manufactured the perfect circle of information. Which way are you going to go? You're going to find information. Yeah, it's a little play center before you go out <laughs> into the big world. And as you say, anywhere you go, you uh, figure something out. Exactly, exactly. But that's, rather the way, in many ways, Breath of the Wild is still a fairly simplistic game. Hmm. I mean, it feels simplistic even though it has a lot of complex systems underlying it but what you actually do in it is you pick up stuff and smack stuff with the stuff you find <laughs> it's it's all the complexity is all in the underlying systems is what i mean on the sure. surface it's all very easy to pick up very very open very straightforward mm -hmm. Uh, another example, like, and I'm seeing in the chat now, like Doom 2016 is a, is a great example. I feel like that's exactly. so it's exactly simple. The same, isn't yeah. it? 
you start in the coffin, you leave the coffin and you're in a room, you leave the room and you're in a corridor, and so on. But I feel People like that's just too simple. That was like you just shoot things, like that's it. People mentioning Disco Elysium as well. Mm. Again, has a very strong beginning because you start off and it's literally just you trapped in your own head. And then you finally open your eyes and you're in and you're in a room. Mm-hmm. And it's like every like inch of that room is explored in the most bizarrely complicated way. Before but, you finally like explore the rest of the building and then the street and then the mm-hmm. town. And it's all piece of paper unfolding, like I keep saying. Yes. No, and I, I feel like um uh, another example of this uh that's maybe a little more complicated is something like Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay, I don't I only played through that once and a lot of it escapes my memory. If memory serves, it starts out with sort of flashback to childhood situation thing. It's it well it's it's not a flashback, but yeah, you you start as Aloy as a child. Yeah. And and what I think that Horizon Zero Dawn does well is the very first tutorial is not combat tutorial. Your first tutorial is teaching you how to explore. And so it ties its first tutorial into the themes of the game, into the thematic narrative of the story. And so your first section, you're just little Aloy learning how mm-hmm. to use your uh, dingle hopper to explore these old ruins. And so like it's setting up the world, the backstory, mm-hmm. and the themes while teaching the player how to play the game. Well, that gets us on to another side of all this, because so far we've been talking about how to establish gameplay mechanics by slowly unfolding them. Mm. But there's also a narrative aspect oh. of video games. And some like uh, Shashank7170 in the chat mentions Half-Life, which, uh, has, which had a very memorable opening for its time. I don't think it's aged terribly well. The on-the-tram opening? Yeah, because mm-hmm. Half-Life was basically like a revolution for interactive narrative. Before then, shooters were just you know doom style level by level shoot all the enemies get to the exit and half-life introduced the concept of just not giving the player a gun for the first half hour to, just <laughs> so it could establish its world and mm. the story leading up to it mm-hmm. so it was revolutionary in that respect i think these days most people just skip past the train ride because it's only really most effective if you've never seen that level of graphics before yeah at the time, I was like, oh my goodness, look at what they did with the Quake engine. That character has a skeleton. In animation terms, I mean. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I think is still my favorite narrative opening for a video game. Mm. And that is the first Bioshock. Bioshock 1. Ooh. Because I can't think of any game that better establishes itself in terms of themes but while keeping it all interactive and immersive that's like, where i might first, take i might take a little umbrance with this choice as far as keeping it interactive but go ahead well l- let me just remind our audience of what happens in the bar you start off on the back foot there's a plane crash mm-hmm. you're floating in the ocean everything's on fire you don't know what the hell's going on mm-hmm. and then you while you're flapping about in the middle of vast ocean with no possible means of survival you see a lighthouse just out of nowhere this is this lighthouse in the middle of the sea mm-hmm. and you swim towards it seeking survival and that's where it's all these like bizarre visuals start being thrown out together a strange golden statue a banner saying no gods or kings only man 
you get into a bathysphere like because there's nothing else to do and then one of probably one of the best opening monologues in video game writing takes place oh is a man not entitled because we're all we're completely fucking confused at this point and then here comes andrew ryan says let me ask you a question like, no no more questions <laughs> And then he then he asks this weird like rhetorical philosophical argument, and you'll and it's just more and more fascinating. Mm. And then screen goes away. Incredible view of rapture at the bottom of the sea. Really dramatic music. You see a whale. I agree. I it, it, it's it's literally submersing you into the world. It's dropping you into this foreign world, and and that part stuff. is beautiful. Yes, it's great stuff. It is literally. Dante at the gates of hell. It it is beautiful. I have I have a problem. I have a, I have a, a really small nitpick that almost ruins Bioshock for me. Is and it the ending sucks? It's not that the ending sucks. It's actually because uh, I want to stress. I want to stress. Bioshock has the best beginning in games. <laughs> Rest of the game, there's a bit more debate. <laughs> No, and no, and there's a lot to like about Bioshock. I think the world is wonderful. I love the the big daddies, the little sister. I love all the splicers. I, I I enjoy Bioshock as a whole. There's one thing that has always bothered me about Bioshock, though, and that is when your character uh, decides to inject himself with the dirty needle he found on the floor. Well, quite. I think that's officially the point where the game starts for me. That's mm-hmm. where the that's where the really good intro ends and the game begins. And I think that's fair. I I feel like in a game that's all about choice or the lack thereof, not letting the player decide if they want to inject themselves with the dirty needle is like missing the point catastrophically. Right. I think there should have been a button prompt. Yeah. Even even I, I don't even know if it was a button prompt or if you just walk up to it and you get a little cutscene. I I feel like it also could have been a lot of fun gameplay wise to play through the game with no plasmids. Uh well, now you mention it. Although that might have created the implication that that's how you're supposed to play the game. Ooh, well, and again, like it it could have been a lovely choice to have, but and so like thinking back on Bioshock, I always I always hate that part so much. It just drives a little drives a little worm in my brain like why didn't they let me choose? Why didn't they let me choose? That's the whole point of the game. Because there's a because at the start of Bioshock 2, you have to press a button to shoot yourself in the head. Oh. Maybe they maybe they got the same complaint from other people. Oh, well good. Well good. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think like Something important about this whole, like, the first hour of your game is something to realize, and this is giving myself a little bit of a backdoor out of any criticism of any game, is video games have an incredibly difficult job in their first couple of hours. Because, you know, like any narrative, like any piece of fiction, they need to set up the who, what, where. They need to set up the world. They need to set up your character. They need to set up the plot. They, they need to set up everything that a movie or a book needs to set up. But then they also need to tutorialize the player on how the controls work, what the systems are, what you'll be doing interacting with this world. And so it is an incredibly difficult balancing act it's difficult it's difficult but that difficulty breeds innovation i find yes that's how we get stuff like breath of the wild Mm. that seems to have figured out how to do it 
Like in the olden days, the, we'd give us you'd give the player a very thick manual, and uh, <laughs> leave, if they're playing something like Civilization, right, and then right. just leave them to figure it out. Oh and wait, like I, think his- I, I think I read something about what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah, yeah. The history of gaming could be written as a history of tutorials. Mm, I I like that because I, used, I remember what the first time a game like sort of. Uh, meshed the tutorial with the opening sequence and i remember magazines commenting on it because it was because it had never been seen at the time and that game was gunman chronicles which Ooh. was a, a half-life like uh spin-off mm-hmm. it was a it was like a fan-made total conversion that eventually like got spun off into its own thing okay because of course in half-life and a lot of games of that time the tutorial was separate you played through it to prepare yourself for the main game mm-hmm but Gunman Chronicles, I remember specifically the review talking about how it teaches you ducking because you're in a space station where something breaks and something falls down and you have to duck under it. And that is, and it's funny to think about that because so many games do that now. <laughs> so many games do that one tutorial where it teaches you to duck by having something drop down and you have to duck under it to proceed. Right? It's, it's amazing now. Thinking back on all the games that did have their like separate tutorial section, I'm I'm vividly remembering the uh, the Spider-Man the movie the game like uh, tutorial section where Bruce Campbell is walking you through how to do all this stuff. <laughs> that was certainly memorable, but then isn't it always when Bruce Campbell does something? If Bruce Campbell's talking to you, uh, just listen. That's always yeah. the case. But but yeah, it's it's really funny how we've evolved, and I guess like. To me, that's why I really like thinking about games like Horizon Zero Dawn, which I one of these days I really would like to replay. Um, and thinking in how they they did such a such a, a seemingly effortless job of like introducing you to this alien world while also teaching you how to be stealthy, teaching you how to lay traps for dinosaurs, teaching you how to use a, a strange alien robot thing. It's you know those who do it right. I'll tell you what I'm sick of, Jack, getting back to uh, talking about starting a narrative in video games. I'm ready. I'm sick of, I'm sick of in medias res. You are sick of starting in the middle of the action. Why is that? In the middle of the action is the best place to start. Well, because as you say, Jack, video games have so much more to bring across than other types of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it usually means that they have to sort of work in all the exposition of where the fuck you are and how you got there and what the, what's the deal is with the world. Okay. While also having to work in all the other stuff. And I find I much prefer games that, as I say, just like unfolds. Like Undertale. You know nothing at the start. You're just a dude and you've fallen into a world and the whole world has to be explained to you because you're a stranger to that world. I love that's the kind of storytelling I like. Hmm. I I'm I'm trying to think of a specific example here, but I and this is where you and I differ, right? And that's fine. I would love it if a game started mid combat and like that's how it teaches you combat is like you know, this character is swinging at you and it's in slow motion, so press this button to duck. Well, there's plenty of games that do that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. But I, 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 because I want to get to actually playing the game as quickly as possible. Well, that's fair enough. But that's why a lot of games have cold opens now. Mm. It's almost like a joke. A lot of games just, you start off in the middle of a fight, it teaches you some combat mechanics, and then it goes one day earlier, and then okay. it starts, and then it goes back to the start of the plot. Well, I don't, I don't like that. that yeah. 
I don't want you to I don't want you to jump around in the time. Let me start in the middle of the fight and then maybe that fight had a consequence that leads into the story. That could be fun. Like Prince of Persia Warrior Within. Sure. Where it starts off with a fight on a ship and then you get knocked overboard and then you wake up on a beach and then the game actually starts. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Why not? Why not start start the player pressing buttons as quickly as possible? That's not a, that's my take. Not a fan of Yakuza games, if that's the thing you like. <laughs> I uh, honestly have never played a Yakuza game. I, they don't seem like my kind of thing. Yeah, it really seems like they, they wouldn't, from everything <laughs> I know about your tastes. <laughs> but like, I, I see, uh, I've seen a lot of people in the chat mentioning the Metroid games, and you know, especially something like Metroid Prime. Metroid Prime, its little tutorial like space station that you are on, you have all your powers. It runs you through how to use all your powers and then in classic Metroid fashion takes them all away so you can go hunt for them. Yeah, it's the cold open. Yeah. And then you like start uh, in a world you know nothing about and your character knows nothing about. I just don't like when they just splat all the exposition out here at once. Did you ever play Final Fantasy Thirteen? You literally have to read a fucking glossary to get what's going on in that game. Oh, <laughs> you have to pause the game and read the glossary that the game never pointed out to you to understand what the fuck half these words people are saying means. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, I can be with you there. I can be with you there. It's that's tricky though because like not every not every game can have you be a stranger in a strange land. I guess, but it's so much more, so much instantly engaging. I feel like a lot of game writers are making life much harder for themselves by not doing that. <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree. Well, but anyway, maybe I've just played too many games. I agree. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> start in medias res. It's getting up my ass I, I, even bloodborne is sort of like descent into underworld classic descent into the underworld plot bloodborne every everything is is stranger in a strange land i mean th- think of any game that has come out recently uh I, i'm just gonna go through like the playstation 4 titles like you know horizon horizon zero dawn sure you know your town but you're an outcast so you've never been in it so it's all about discovery um, well your character Dad, does know a lot about the world she knows about the world but she's still a stranger in a strange land uh dad of boy you've never left you know your sacred forest and now you're a stranger in a strange world right red dead redemption sure you understand the world but you're in a new land and you don't know how these locals work you're a stranger in a strange land uh, uh, fucking uh, fucking everything fucking fucking uh, the the last of us you know you've well, never left your encampment a, well, and now you're strange. using a very broad definition of stranger in a strange world <laughs> yes. in a lot of these games you're talking about these characters have lived in this world they just haven't been to these specific parts of it yet it's, uh, I mean, the, undertale is just co- discovering a completely new world you never even knew about Shoot. Yeah, I'm being loose. I'm being loose with it just because it's it's a tropey thing and it's used a lot. It's used a lot in a lot of skewed ways. Well, I'm trying to use all these views I have on openings in the development of my game, Starship oh, Vagabond. Oh, sure, sure. I'm trying to use. I'm using the unfolding principle for the intro. Mm-hmm. You start off on you start off on your ship. And there's a lot of complex stuff I need to teach the player in that game because you know, you've got to like, maintain an entire ship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the game starts with you wake up like 
uh, in your ship and then a meteor hits the ship and all the power shuts down. And you can't even leave the room until you've figured out how to prize the shut down doors open. Ooh, okay. And the game, and my intention is that the game gradually teaches you the mechanics of maintaining the ship as you go through and repair the ship that's just been damaged. I like it. And so you're tutorializing the players on what they'll be doing. And are you planning on giving us a little story dump before that, a little world building before that, or no? Yes. There's like a story intro at the moment that mm. I think I'm going to overhaul a little bit before the end. Mm. But it ends with like uh, your character getting cryonically frozen for 2,000 years. And they wake up and using a ship is basically the same, but they're completely unfamiliar to the universe. Oh, so you're a stranger in a strange land is what you're saying. Ex- yes, you're a stranger in a strange land. <laughs> I do see someone in the chat uh, mentioning a, a, a good example of them not doing that is Ghost of Tsushima, in which yes, you know your island, much. you are not a stranger in a strange land. Uh, but the Mongols have taken it over. That's right. And so there are areas cut off to you, so it still starts you in a smaller area and gets bigger as you go on. Yeah, standard sandbox design. Start. Don't, like, throw the whole sandbox at us right away. Right. It's overwhelming. Speaking of throwing the whole sandbox at us straight away, you also mentioned Skyrim as a game you wanted to bring up. I did. I So, like, I had a little list going of games that I think did it well, games that I think did it poorly, and games that were in between doing it well and poorly. And so, like, you know, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning about how, like, Dark Souls and Bloodborne handle different things better and worse. And I think Skyrim is a game that handles things handles most things poorly like i didn't really understand skyrim until i watched other people's like video playthroughs of it Mm. i feel like they shove a ton of story that you don't necessarily understand at the player real quick well i kind of like how it's presented right at the start because obviously yeah there's a whole complex political situation going on but you're seeing it through the perspective of your dumb, confused ass getting executed for reasons you don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and there's storm cloaks, at, and there's royalty, yeah. and who are they, and why are they? What's going on? Yeah, I think it's I think it's good right up until the point after your execution is stayed when mm-hmm. the game goes quick. Either follow this guys or this guys. <laughs> I'm like I don't get who the fuck these guys are. Exactly. I know nothing about this world. You've just thrown me into this like I was a little baby in a bucket. Well, and see, I think that's where the game's failings are as far as tutorializing the player. I think that they do a bad job at tutorializing role-playing. They don't get across the fact that you're supposed to make choices as a player. Like, as soon as you choose a direction, like, they hand you, uh, like, a one-handed weapon... And then later on, they, they let you find some, like, magic robes. And then even later on, they let you find a bow and an arrow, right? And so you find all these different weapons that later players will know you can use for the class that you chose later. But newer mm-hmm. players, especially, like, um, speaking of my personal experience, I didn't necessarily know you're supposed to choose a specialty. And so it's like, oh, if if, for example, they would have said, hey, choose one of these things, a la like a Pokemon starter, you know, a a wizard thing, a barbarian thing, or an archer thing. Choose one of these things. You would get that in your head. Oh, I'm supposed to make a decision and head in a direction. 
still, at least something exciting happens in the Skyrim opening. <laughs> at least it's not the Oblivion <laughs> opening. Oh, where you get processed through a through a jail or or no, you're not a criminal, right? You just get like processed through an immigration paperwork. <laughs> I think that's Morrowind, but that's another good example. But in Oblivion, you're in a you're in a dungeon, uh-huh. and you're just sitting there when character voiced by Patrick Stewart comes in and says, "You're the chosen one because of prophecies." <laughs> And I, as you know, I hate prophecies as a story element. As you should. I'm with you with that 100%. And then you just sort of leave. You leave out the back door. Yeah. I guess. And the emperor gets killed. And then you've got a quest, I guess. I guess I would prefer then, yeah, the, the well, we've processed you through immigration. Here's the world. Bye. Well, that's. I guess that was sort of intentional in Morrowind. Because the intention there was just, you know. Pick a direction and go, and find adventure wherever you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, the first plot point in that game is you run into some dude who's like working with you because you're some kind of undercover cop or something, and he says to you, "Right, first thing you need to do is get settled, pick a guild, start adventuring, figure out your life, and then we'll get back in touch." Which is a good <laughs> way to open a game that's supposed to be about finding your own path, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I, I mean, Skyrim obviously is so big, and there's so many things to do. I, I do think, though, they do a good job of doling out the tutorials when necessary. For example, if this were you know like like a Monster Hunter game, they would like give you the blacksmithing tutorial right when you started the game. Skyrim waits until you click on a blacksmithing thing. Like, oh, this is the blacksmithing thing. This is how you use that. Right. And so, like, they do a good job of, like, waiting until the player is ready to, you know, build something or uh, use an anvil or or a a whetstone, sharpening your sword, that sort of thing. Well, the trouble is people are stupid. (laughs) I mean, how would they know that they can sharpen their swords? Unless you pause the game and smack them in the face with a giant text box saying, hey, did you know you can sharpen your swords, you thick twat? But uh, Go over there and do it, and you can't do anything else until you've done it. And I want to see your sword shining, or you'll get a clip around the ear. <laughs> uh, one, I agree. Humans in general, we are terrible at understanding what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to be going. Anyone who's you know, worked in retail knows that. You know how that shit happens? Focus testing, that's how that happens. They brought some dumb twat in to play the game and they couldn't figure out how to sharpen the swords and then, like, the QA people got up the developer's ass about it. Yeah. That's how that happens. And could we get, like, a maiden with some big old cans to, like, bend over so you're watching them cans? Shut up, up, marketing. I'm dealing with QA right now. No, the big cans and she'll show you how to sharpen your sword. Look at them cans. (laughs) Just hire me. I'll design your game. It's cans everywhere. (laughs) Seems to work. (sighs) So So we go to to Super Chats. It's about Super Chat time. Sure. I'm just trying to think if there's any sort of if there's any sort of unifying button we can put on this about like you know that balance of keeping your players doing stuff while giving them nuggets of information letting you know it's it's so much better to let your player do something to learn a system than just showing them right i guess i guess in the sharpen your sword example 
you could have that player fight something and mm. the thing like kicks the shit out of the player sure because their sword isn't very sharp mm-hmm. and the game and then some like character in game goes oof that was rough hey why don't you try sharpening your sword before you try that again sure sure or or even just like before you go into a big fight there happens to be a whetstone right there and you you like it put it in a corridor so the player has to bump up against it oh oh i guess i'll do this oh your sword got sharper oh oh oh, this is a very poorly laid out castle (laughs) oh i mean this is this is a fire this whetstone is a fire hazard oh no did i leave that whetstone that will sharpen your sword to make you fight better right there i'll get it out of your way in a minute sir that sort of thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right that's all i got okay get your just get your super chats in now everyone this is the bit where we acknowledge the plebs Hitch gives us four ninety nine US dollars to say that first hour of God of War was a chore. Are we talking about Dad of Boy or God of War? Because God of War was like one of the first games to introduce like the cold open, where the first chapter is incredibly action packed, and then it like slows right down right after that. I'm trying to remember the first God of War. Well, in the first God of War, you start off on a ship. And Kratos goes, ah, I'm going to kill you motherfuckers. And then you have to kill a bunch of motherfuckers using the standard combat controls. Right. And then you fight a fuck-off giant Hydra. And then and then uh, after that, everything slows down when you go to Athens to like stop Ares' army from killing them. Did you play the first God of War game? This I feel How? like it, this would be this is all very memorable. This would all have been very memorable if you had. How old is the first? Yes, I have played the first God of War game, but how old is it at this point? When did the first God of War come uh, out? PS2, so I want to say would have been around 05. Hang on, I'll check. I just want to put into context I'm an old man who forgets a lot of things. Who plays a lot of games. You can't... Oh, spot on. It came out in 2005. Okay, so we're talking 16 years ago. Yeah. That's quite, that's a long time ago. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's a good, it's, it holds up, I'd say. Still a good game. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I remember having fun. I remember the the button prompts, uh, or the uh, the uh, the button, the, the quick time events. I remember those. Um... I remember them cans. Kratos had some cans at some point laying there's, around him. There sure were a bunch of cans around. So I got. About. I remember that. Does that count? Well, moving on. Great. Um, if you meant God of War four, then yes, I agree. The first hour was a bit of a slog. Because you know, you go out, you fight a troll, then you go home again. Like, oh, thought things were getting exciting there for a second. Well, yeah, they were really upping that whole, like, take us seriously. We're starting the game with a funeral march. Nothing says having fun while playing video games like a funeral march to start your game. Contrast with God of War 1. I'm going to kill you, motherfuckers. Kill motherfuckers. Hmm. Then kill fuck off giant Hydra. Yeah. Shogun is Dead gives $5 to say, are there any games you can think of that use comedy to start the first hours of a game on a positive note? Love you guys, and thanks for great content. Well, since you bring it up, Psychonauts would be a good example of a mm. game that draws you in with a comedy tone, but it doesn't necessarily get the ball rolling in gameplay terms. Sure, sure. Nice light tone. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, yeah, really, we're talking about almost any point-and-click adventure game is going to start you off with some some yuckies, with some yucks to to get the ball rolling point-and-click-wise. Yeah, Secret of Monkey Island does it pretty well. Mm-hmm. There's the intro where you talk to the lookout. Then you know, there's like the first thing you run into is the bar. You walk in, there's a ton of characters to talk to and have funny conversations with. You can talk to a dog. Then you can have a funny conversation with a dog. Then when you're done talking to all those plebs, you can talk to like the important pirates in the next room and they tell you what you're actually supposed to do. So yeah, that's a good that's a good way to start an adventure game mm-hmm. like Monkey Island. I'm trying to think of any like it's it's hard to think of games that have that are like overly comedic that are not adventure games. Though um, the Deadpool game. The de- <laughs> I mean, when if you're talking about comedy games, Ryan. There's Deadpool, there's Sunset Overdrive. As for whether you find them funny, that's mm-hmm. up to personal opinion. But in right. terms of games that are out and out, you know, David Zucker film, comedy game. Right. Those are the ones that spring to mind. Sure. Portal, I'm, yeah. Portal maybe? Portal. I think uh, Portal, obviously, like, one, the first hour of Portal is all of Portal. Uh, so it does a great job in its first hour. <laughs> uh, but... Having GLaDOS there to move you along, have her like comedic robotic voice does ease the player into this weird world that you've discovered. Absolutely. And doesn't hurt that all the gameplay is really well tutorialized as well because it's a Valve game and they focus test up the arse. Mm-hmm. 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 Mr. Wade Lee gives $10 to say, perhaps controversial, I didn't really care for the intro of Red Dead 2. I think the story needs more time after the beginning to establish themes and get out of the dreaded snow level. Mm. Well, that was what I was thinking when I was bringing up games that start in medias res. Oh. It's just a big pile of shit to the face. I didn't even know what character I was playing as in the intro to Red Dead Redemption 2. That's really true. And then slogging random, vo- random voices in a blizzard. That's right. And, and your movement is halved because you're slogging through the snow. Yeah, that sucked. I agree. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were going for the you know intriguing narrative intro when mm. it kind of falls flat. Mm. Uh, John Connor gives five Canadian dollars to say, do you think tutorials should be separate from the opening sequence and the thus skippable or vice versa? Well, we were talking about tutorials being a separate thing, but that's not really a practice anymore. Yeah. I, I guess it, it kind of depends on the game. I think if you have something like a, a roguelike or a roguelite, something that the player will be playing over and over again, yes. Have a little tutorial yeah. section, right? Not yeah, everyone's going to need it. I think of games like some like a lot of JRPGs mm-hmm. like take ages to establish all the mechanics. Persona's really bad for that. Mm-hmm. So it would be nice if you could skip straight to the interesting bits. Or Assassin's Creed 4. I like I replayed that and game and I was thinking I really enjoyed like the the uh, the fleet management mechanics mm. in this game. Mm-hmm. When the fuck do they happen? <laughs> I've played for like 3 hours. I want to manage a fucking fleet. I'm still stuck in these fucking story missions. Right? Or or conversely, give your players something to work for. Like like in Bloodborne, like, you know, making it to the first uh, lamp without dying, without any weapon is like, oh, that feels like an achievement to me. Replaying something like Bloodborne or in Skyrim, mm. you know, cheesing. You can cheese your your opening helper because they never die. So you can like level up a weapon 80 times by smacking them in the face. 
killing the asylum demon the start of dark souls Ooh, yeah, yeah. which you can really only do on either new game plus or if you're a veteran who decided to bring the black fire bombs as their starting item mm, sure sure right and so like giving your players something to achieve uh, some sort of meta game uh in yeah. in lieu of like tutorial. Some immediate some immediate like thing that can test to see if it's a new player or not without actively going out of the way and asking if they're a new player or not yeah i like that okay that was john connor so mr wade lee again gives ten dollars to say an intro i quite enjoyed was metroid fusion the story immediately makes the player aware of the threat its effect on the world and the horror elements of the game Mm. love the show thank you guys played metroid fusion yeah yeah game boy advance game yeah i played that it's a good it's a pretty good one that's cool i do think it sort of starts it sort of um, begins something that is the main problem with metroid other m Oh, Metroid no. Fusion introduces all like the monologue. Samus around having the long monologue to herself as she's going down in elevators. And I think just because it's not voice acted, you put up with it in Metroid <laughs> Fusion. But the fact that it's all voice acted and it's all in cinematics in Metroid Other M, it becomes really obnoxious. Ooh, I th- I, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to say that's a fair point. Thank um, you. I think my serve. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think it's a fair point uh, within the within the boundaries. Uh, I want to. I'm going to say though, gameplay of other M as compared to Fusion. You know, Fusion leaps and bounds, mostly because it's a very classic Metroid game. Oh, do you remember those bits in other M where it would just go to first person for no reason while you walk oh, around the yes. toilet? That was weird. What was the what was the point of that? Thinking back, it's because whoever made that game had no understanding of why we like Metroid games. We're going to disrupt Metroid. That's right. Uh, Marshall Graham gives $5 to say, I love the show. Thanks for what you guys do. Here's my child's entire college savings. Well, that's depressing on many levels, Marshall Graham, but thank you. Stacy 89 gives $5 to say, do sequels have different rules for starting a game since the world's already developed? No. My favorite intro to a game is Dead Space 2. Absolutely not. Yeah, I think you still need to re-establish everything if for a sequel. You need to, if for no other reason than you need to get us back into the mindset. Absolutely, I think uh, if I can, if I can pull from the great Stan Lee, any comic book could be someone's first comic book. Man, he didn't really practice what he preached, did he? <laughs> I find superhero comics completely impenetrable just because of the decades of well he hasn't been backstory you have to remember keep in mind he hasn't been editor-in-chief for quite a many years (laughs) for for decades and decades he has had no say in marvel well i feel like he's an influential enough figure he could just go on twitter and say i wish they'd pack this shit in and people would listen yes but the the point is any sequel of a game could be someone's first entry into that game true i mean It'd be, it's probably a bit weird to start with number two, but people might. People might. Listen, uh, and I know, you know, not not a perfect analogy, but we were talking about Skyrim earlier, that you shouldn't, and they do a very good job, you don't have to know all of the other Elder Scroll games to get into Skyrim. Well, perhaps it's uh, more true of video games than in other media, Mm. because video games have developed with technology so much over time. Yeah. So when you when you're playing uh, like Skyrim, you might as well be playing an entirely new experience that's completely unrelated to all the older ones. Mm-hmm. 
because just because technology is advancing but i mean no one is expecting you to have played elder scrolls arena (laughs) (laughs) hey i don't know some games but and so it's like i'm trying to think of a good example though like well, there's a lot of franchises that only got really big with certain sequels. Mm. Persona 3, Witcher sure. 3, Grand Theft Auto 3, Witch- etc. Witcher 3, I think, is a good example. Because like, not only is it a game sequel, but it's based off of a series of books that people should have no knowledge of. And yeah. and it does a very good job of establishing, you know, who Yennefer is, who Ciri is. Like, it, it yeah. lays things out for the players very well. So in brief, yes, you mm-hmm. do you do have to introduce the game properly, even if it's a sequel. Yes, please, <laughs> please, thank you. Well, Bullseye Hun gives us oh for, oh, for God's sake, one thousand FTS or huffs. Hang on, huff huff currency. Is it is it Hungary? Let's find out. Um, it is the Hungarian forint. All yes. right, I like it. Thanks for the one thousand Hungarian forints, you uh, foreign man. Oh shit! I lost all my. There it is. <laughs> it made you lose everyone else's. <laughs> okay, I'm getting back on track now. Yeah. Uh, yes, Bullseye Hun gave us a thousand Hungarian forints to say, I think Jack missed the artsy BS Spec Ops the Line choice option of Bioshock. Just stop playing. Ooh. I think his point is there was a choice to not inject yourself. You could have just stopped playing. Touche. But that's, well, that's a bullshit <laughs> that's, yeah. option anyway. That's bullshit. No, and it's like, I, I get it. This is a very, like, the game is about guns and magic powers. I get yeah. that. They want you to have magic powers. They want you to have guns. But again, it, it, it very nitpicky and just me. Like, I get to that point, point in Bioshock and it's like, oh, why, why would you do that? As a character, also as a human being, why would you take a dirty needle and shove it into your arm? Are, are you a drug addict? Did you think it was drugs? Why because he are you asked doing nicely. This? That's why you did it, because he asked nicely you to do it no and he does not ask uh for you to inject yourself oh doesn't he he does not that's what makes it so frustrating okay so if he if he had done the thing where he asked you nicely to do something trying not to spoil the plot here then that would have been that would have worked for you that would have made sense within the context of the narrative but you just see a dirty needle and inject yourself with it all right fair enough (laughs) completely immersion breaking Fish boy gives five US dollars to say, as one with limited time stroke money, the first two hours are the most important because you can't return them on Steam. If it doesn't hook me, then it's gone. Good point, Fish boy. Mm. That's another reason to make your intros good. Well, and it doesn't it- apply to us, of course. We're professionals. We get all our games for free <laughs> or tax write-offs. I, th- <laughs> I, I mean, it's so tough, and like, I guess, like, not to be incredibly harsh to to double down on my point there is a lot of work that needs to be done to acclimate a player to a world to a mechanic to a story to a character to all the mechanics that you have to me 20 minutes might be not enough time that might not be enough time to fully get a player into the swing an hour two hours i you know we we've talked about this on a slightly civil war before where it's like 
I think we said a what was it a quarter? A quarter of a game. Mm. If we're gonna like give it to analogy to, uh, to a movie, where it's like twenty minutes into a movie, you should know whether or not you're having a good time. Yeah, I think that was what we. I think it was the quarter we agreed on. Yeah, and so you know, typically, if a game is around twenty hours, you get five hours to really entrench me into your game. And then you lose your Steam re- refund, but oh well. Right. Eduardo Filippi gives 10,000 PYGs, which I preemptively looked up, is the Paraguayan Gurani. Ooh. Who says, how do you make the first hours of your books? Now, that's a good question, because I was thinking about it, and I guess I do take the same uh, unfolding a piece of paper approach. For starters, you always have to have a good opening line. You have to have a good hook. That's always been my principle for starting books. Mm-hmm. So Mogworld starts with an alarm going off. Jam starts with the city was covered in man-eating jam. Ooh, hooks you, you right get, in. You get the hook. Mm-hmm. And then for the first chapter, do like an enclosed scene that sort of establishes the themes and what we're going to be doing from pressing, from pressing on. Like a single enclosed scene that could have been a short story. Mm-hmm. Like in Mogworld, like there's the opening with the... Uh, assault on the magic school will save the galaxy for food starts with the main character having an encounter in space with some pirates mm-hmm. and which it reveals at the end of the chapter he was actually working with the pirates Ooh. and then you have that enclosed scene to set the, to set the scene set the scene with a scene and then in the next chapter unfold the paper again double in size introduce a larger world mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's how I do it. I I love that. I I I think this is a perfect metaphor for for storytelling in general. The, this unfolding a piece of paper. Well well done. If you, you made it up, if you're borrowing it from someone else, well done remembering it. No, I actually did make up the idea for unfolding a piece of paper as a metaphor for starting a story. Ooh, I like it then. Then well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I think the the same applies for any narrative. If you think of any movie, it's usually the same thing. You are it, it an action movie starts off with a big action sequence to get you pumped up. Then they dole out a little character, a little story. They then they start opening up the world more and more. I mm. like it. Uh, blimey, there's a lot of super chats today. Uh, thank you, by the way. Thank you for the support. We, we do really just, appreciate we, it. We try to end at eleven thirty, so uh, I'm going to be a bit tight for time today. Lord Law gives five euros to say, I liked the opening of Arkham City, where you start as Bruce Wayne, but I guess licensed games have it easy since the narrative setup is done. That is a pretty strong opening for gay for a game, wouldn't you say? Arkham City? I, I've never gotten around to Arkham City. It's on, it's on my, in my Steam library, but uh, describe it to me. Well, it starts with you as uncostumed Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. who gets thrown into Arkham City, the prison, and you go down a corridor with all the inmates yelling at you from behind a fence. And then um, you get like in a fight with some of the Penguin's goons where you establish some fighting mechanics while you still got the handcuffs on. Yeah, yeah. And then you get away from all that and like hide and get onto a rooftop. And then uh, Alfred airdrops in the Batman costume and you put it in and it's a very dramatic putting on the costume sequence like in a film. Oh, I like it. It's, it. Yeah, that is a good intro. 
great. Check it out. Case study. So a, a mixture of mechanics and world building, which is what we've been talking about this entire time. Beautiful. I love it. There you, there you go. Mm-hmm. Zenos84 gives $5 to say the first bit of Salt and Sanctuary made me grind my teeth. Steep learning curve, but I guess that's all Souls-style games. I agree. Ooh, but From but. From what I remember of Sultan's Sanctuary, I agree, I guess. If I remember correctly, you choose your character, you got some baddies to fight, which gives you a little combat, and then a a boss that you are supposed to die to. So a good yeah, job yeah. of teaching you that you're going to die and that's okay. The classic supposed-to-lose fight, which we should really come up with a neater name for. <laughs> oh, uh, the... Fake fight? Ooh, uh, the faux fight, yes. Yeah, the faux fight, all right. Uh, Daniel Story gives five Australian dollars. No worries, mate. Five dollar dues. To say you're only discussing games with a narrative end, what are your complaints stroke praise about the first hour of various simulators, roguelike stroke survival games? Um... Oh, you know that was on my list. It, it didn't come up because we were talking about other things. Uh, but like, if you look at something uh, like a like a roguelike, like Binding of Isaac, mm. the one of the core mechanics to Binding of Isaac is the synergy system. You know, you find a power up, you find a second power up. How do they interact with each other? Right. Yeah. And I the, guess the point is that Binding of Isaac, like Breath of the Wild, is on the surface a very simple game. Exactly. And you can just start off and play your first run, and mm-hmm. it's all pretty self-explanatory, right? Well, and they they use visuals, like so, like when I when as Isaac, you get two different power ups. Your you the physical model of Isaac changes, and so the player should notice that you've changed, and now your tiers do something different. Oh, if I get different power ups, I do different things. Fantastic. Actually, if you on on this channel, I have uh, an interview with Edmund McMillan where we talk a lot about Isaac and all of his other games as well. A really interesting point, though, is he has had a lot of complaints about the Binding of Isaac and about how short it is. Because Mm. some people go through the first part of the game, they beat mom, and then they think they're done. They don't know that they're supposed to play it over and over again. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes me laugh because there are some people with like 10,000 hours of Binding of Isaac on their Steam profiles. Exactly. But but so I, I was talking to him about that. I was like, how do you properly tutorialize people? And he said, well, we try to give them hints like you've unlocked stuff on the basement after you've beaten mom. But some mm. people don't get it and there's done, they're done and there's nothing I can do as a game developer to tell them to keep playing. <laughs> So. Well, there's something you could do. You could throw up a big wall of text saying, the game's not over, you <laughs> dumb twat. I suppose he said there. Uh, there's nothing he f- he wanted to do <laughs> to make you them. Could put you could put a little thing that says something like ending one of five million. Ooh, there you go. I think like anyone who's playing it on Steam, you'll notice that you're missing a lot of achievements and you might go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Okay, D. Fitzgerald gives five Canadian dollars to say, Gone home, Steam game. Unfolds well. First few minutes trying to find a key to get into the house. Sets up a walking sim, stroke puzzles to get to the next room. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it does. Another good start for a game. Paul Says gives five US dollars to say, Controversial opinion, David Cage makes flawless games. Well, that is a very controversial opinion, Paul Says. I counterpoint you with every review for every David Cage game I've ever done. 
Anything to add? God, no. Like, I, I, I think, you know, obvious troll is obvious. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Clayton McManus gives $8.50 Canadian to say, I wish games would exp- <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Frog in the throat. I should really stop sucking off Frenchmen. I wish games oh, would oui, explain... Oui. S- I wish games would explain some of the lesser features that I tend to miss. I had no idea Fallout 4 settlements could generate materials for you. Well, we were talking about that earlier, weren't we? I mean, how do you ride the line? How do you ride the line between not being too obnoxious with your tutorials while uh, being, like, natural? Being like a natural experience. Right. And, and you know, there there's a Monster Hunter level where it's just too much and you miss stuff because your brain can't absorb that amount of information. And apparently there's a Fallout 4 section where they just don't give you information and hope you figure it out. And there has to be a balance. And, you know, to me, I, I'm a learn by doer. I want, you know, if I need to jump over stuff, I want to have my character jump over stuff. Oh, that's how I jump over stuff. Great. Yeah, it's pretty good uh, rule of thumb, actually. Learn by doing. Learn by, that's, you know, Mario World 1-1. <laughs> that first enemy comes at you because you're supposed to jump over it. If you don't, you die. That's the first tutorial. <laughs> I think the the standard Valve method for tutorializing is they just tell you what to do. They just have a character tell you what to do the first time. You do it, and then <laughs> they immediately have you do it again, but without the person telling you to do it. Ooh, sure. The first, instruct, then reinforce. I think that's the formula. That's great. Instruct. So yeah, in in, uh, in Half Life Two, you know the guard whaps you with his baton and says, "Pick up that garbage." So, oh, you can interact. I'll pick up the garbage. I can move the camera. Great. There you go. There you go. Uh, that guy, you know, gives two US dollars to say, new game critic system, start time to cans. <laughs> Are you, do you ever hear of the start to crate system? Start to crate? Yeah, this was a thing back in old Web 1.0 days on the old man Murray site. Oh, okay. They pointed out that every video game has crates. So you can judge every video game by how long it takes before you find a crate. So there were a couple of art schools where they listed the start to crate time of several popular games. Yeah. Oh, and uh, by the way, everyone is reminding me that what you're picking up in Half-Life 2 is cans. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cans. No, I, I, I follow a fun Twitter account that's um, time until you're playing the game. That that calculates the time, like all the preamble before you can actually press a dang button. Well, that uh, is a debate in itself, is what mm. counts as having started the game. Absolutely. But I, I'm just I'm trying to think of a game that does not have a crate in it. And you might be right. Every game has some sort of crate in it. Scavenger gives five US dollars to say, I'd go shorter. The first 20 minutes tend to be important to teach controls. Two that come to mind are Far Cry 3 and The Last of Us 1. If you like. Yeah, I mean... Yes, no. Well, we can we can debate exactly how long is the best like time to have an intro in, and everyone's got like a different level of tolerance, I suppose. Not only does everyone have a different level of tolerance, but every game has a different level of complexity. There's no way you can teach a player everything they need to do in Stardew Valley in 20 minutes. Yeah. Just plant some parsnips and let everything unfold as it may. Right. That's my advice for Stardew Valley. But a game like 
like Super Mario Brothers, yes, if people don't understand what they're doing in the first ten seconds, they're gonna they're gonna be having well, a bad only, time. Super Mario Brothers, there's only so many things you can do. Exactly. I pressed one button and it did nothing. I'm bored. Next game. <laughs> Refund. Refund. I pressed the button and it didn't work. <laughs> Fill my ass up. Gives 50 Norwegian kroner to say, Fallout New Vegas do an opening pretty good considering you have no idea what kind of world you enter until you discover the struggles people have in it. Ooh, you know what? That's another good example of your, of, of a game where you're not in a strange world. Yeah. Right? Like, you've lived in this world before. Your character has, at least, lived in this world before. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to say uh, no more super chats. Ooh, that's a good idea. I've got like six more to read out, but uh, let's wrap that up. Kind of hoping to wrap this up in the next hour. Sure, but yeah, Fallout New Vegas does a really good job. You know, like of introducing you to the the world. You start off using Yahtzee's lovely metaphor. You start off in just a room talking to a dude. It unfolds a little bit. You've got a town with stuff to do, and then it unfolds more. Yes, what a lovely way to introduce the player to New Vegas. Sen of War gives five US dollars to say, first time catching this live, love the show. VR has some neat takes on tutorials. I feel like Half-Life Alex had an amazing opener. That's, I, I, I default to you. I have not played this. Well, in Half-Life Alex, one of the first things you can do is pick up a Sharpie with your real hand and draw on a wall. You can draw knobs and boobs and everything you want. Although so that, the pen doesn't work on any other wall, so it's a bit cheap. Oh. That'd but, be great yeah. if you could write, like, keep the pen and then write on enemies' faces after you killed them. Mm. It's pretty neat. Two out of ten. Well, it's kind of neat. I think I'm right in saying that in like the part of the intro where you're confronted by some enemy soldiers, they react differently if you like put your hands up versus doing something else. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fine. Give you a bit of a give you a bit of a smack in the face if you don't. Uh, a big rad roach gives four forty nine British pounds to say afternoon, guys. Jack finally got round to a very joyful morning routine of coffee and grapefruit. Can now officially say I'm a double fisting fan. Yeah, I've been meaning to try that out myself. Oh, look at you. Do you drink coffee out of a plastic tumbler? Well, it's iced coffee. Oh, that's well, that's all right. So it's, just a, it's just a plastic cup, but it's, it's iced coffee. So <laughs> I, I can only drink my morning coffee out of a mug with the words motivation in a mug written along the side. That's my special daddy mug for daddy. So even when the weather gets warm, you don't switch to iced coffee. It's hot coffee all year round. I actually find a hot beverage on a hot day can make you feel cooler. Ooh. Like a hot shower on a hot day can do the same thing. Sure, sure. Because it, it prepares your body for a hotter, for a hot situation by like in, in activating your cooling mechanisms. That's fair. That's fair. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. I just, you know, I, to me, it's like as soon as the weather gets a little bit nice, I want, I want iced coffee. As soon as it gets a little bit cold, I want that hot coffee. Fair enough. Mm. Scavenger again gives us five US dollars to say, don't know if it helps, but TV Tropes has hopeless boss fight, but I like plot fight. You're fighting the story, not a character. Ooh. Well, plot fight doesn't imply you're supposed to lose. I I like that as it as it goes along with plot armor, someone having, you know, someone is plot? unbeatable because of the plot. How about plot failure? We are undergoing plot failure. 
a failure that you have to do for the plot. Mm, interesting. But that, to me, like if I just heard the term plot failure, I would think you had a bad plot. Plot loss. A plot loss. <laughs> yes. Well, that kind of sounds like a euphemism for going to the toilet. <laughs> give me, give me five minutes. Gotta, gotta go do a plot loss. There's Ooh, something feel, in there. Though. I feel dirty just hearing those yeah, words together. Yeah, it's weird. That's a bad combination of words. I I agree with you that like we can. I think we can use like oh this boss has plot armor. Uh, you know we can use that term there. Okay, sure. plot armored boss. Okay, yeah, plot armored boss. Yeah. Fizzle one four seven gives five Canadian dollars to say Baba Booey Baba Booey Baba Booey. That's, Thanks for the money, Fizzle147. That's old school trolling. The next World War gives five US dollars to say, I'm donating just to tell you that if you wait around in Bioshock, the nice man does indeed tell you to shoot up. Oh. Well, but why would you wait around? Why would you wait around? Yeah, shouldn't have waited around. Why would you wait around? It would make more sense if he didn't. Yeah. I suppose it would have been a difficult, it's a difficult thing to phrase. Would you be so kind as to jab yourself with that heroin needle there? <laughs> sort, of, sort of a conversation. Wow, this conversation's took a weird turn. <laughs> and finally, Soul mm. Kibble gives five US dollars to say the opening to Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles hooked me right away from its opening of two titans in a death battle whose dead bodies become the world you explore. Ooh. Well, that's quite a bit to take in. I haven't played it. If you say it hooked you, then good for you. Great. 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 Well, thanks for all those super chats and uh, everyone who's subscribed to Escapist Plus or the Escapist YouTube memberships. Your money helps us keep making the content you love and we love to make. It's true. I I feel like I feel very free when whenever we have these discussions where it's like, what do we feel like talking about? Even if it's something as seemingly mundane as like, let's just talk about the opening of random games. Like we don't feel the need to talk about, oh, what's the latest AAA game that's coming out now? We're just going to have a conversation about gaming and we get to do that because of all of these super chats and your membership. So uh, we appreciate that. And we're glad you could all join us for it. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, if you are not an Escapist Plus member or a YouTube member, make sure to click on those buttons. We have a new tier over at Escapist Plus where you get all sorts of bonuses. Head over to escapismagazine.com to find out all that information. Uh, and and if follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handles are below us. I'm at Harlack. And I'm at Yati Crochaw. Make sure to check. Oh, we, we got another another shameless plug. Yes, we got a new merch store, including a bunch of Adventure is Nigh merchandise, which is just Ooh. adorable. We got some more episodes of that in the can. We're doing another one this week. Exactly. Something, I think you're all going to like it. We're all very happy with how it's turning out. So it's, far. It's good stuff. Our last session, we all got on chat and said, that was a good session we just had. We all agree. <laughs> That'll be that'll make for good listening. Ooh, ooh, baby, yeah. They we get into some weird places and it's a lot of fun. So uh, check out that. Uh, d- tomorrow we got a new zero punctuation coming out. So much fun. Yep. 
boom, boom, boom. And a new post, and a new post CP stream from the usual time. So I'll see you all then, and Jack will see you all whenever. Exactly. So bye, everyone. Thanks for coming. Bye.